0: welcome back to mama mystery i am your host kelly and i am your co-host austin and today we are starting off a new series for the month of october i'm so excited to celebrate spooky season by releasing as many episodes as i possibly can So you will be getting more than just one per week for the month of October. You'll probably get even more than two a week. So get ready to immerse yourself into the spooky world of Murder Minutes with Mama Mystery. Let's go. Very spooky, Kelly. We are starting off our Mama Mystery spooky series with an episode about a case that is ongoing right now. So... We begin this story in Athens, Georgia, with a 59-year-old woman named Debbie Collier. Debbie worked as a front office manager for Carriage House Realty. She married her husband, Steve, in 2013, and she appears to have two kids, a 36-year-old daughter named Amanda Bearden and a son named Jeffrey. Jeffrey described his mother by saying, quote, My mother was a very vibrant and strong soul. She was a person who valued kindness, empathy, and understanding throughout her entire life. She went through her life recognizing the beauty and grace in everything she saw and experienced around her. She enjoyed many aspects of life and knew that daily life was filled with joy and beauty. She spent her time enjoying and making art. She valued listening to, dancing, and singing along with her favorite music, My mother consumed herself with the holidays as her focus remained on family and the value of being together over a home-cooked meal. Each year, she would shower her family with thoughtful gifts as gestures to remind you of her constant presence and awareness of your life and your value to her. And most importantly, she was always loved, cared, and respected her family. So, what happened to Debbie Collier? So on Saturday, September 10th, Stephen says he left for work, and although he didn't see Debbie that morning, he did see her rental vehicle in the driveway. Her car was getting uh, repairs in the shop following a car accident. So in the meantime, she was driving a new black Chrysler Pacifica rental. So he assumed that she was still home when he left for work because the van was still in the driveway. Later that day, at uh, 3.17 p.m., Debbie's daughter, Amanda, received a Venmo notification out of the blue. She received a payment from her mom totaling $2,385. And in the note of the payment, her mom wrote, quote, They are not going to let me go. Love you. There is a key to the house in the blue flower pot by the door. Oh, that's creepy. So this message, of course, sends Amanda into a panic, and she tries calling her mom, but it goes to voicemail. So she and Steve report Debbie missing, but they didn't report her missing until about six o'clock, a few hours after receiving that message. So they report her missing to the athens Clark County Police. And when investigators gathered information for the initial missing persons report, they started asking Amanda questions. And Amanda told them that her mom left the house with only her ID and debit card that day, indicating that she didn't take her phone, her purse, or any other belongings, which would have been out of character for her. One of the ways police tried searching for Debbie was to trace the GPS of the Sirius XM radio feature on the rental car. And because of this feature, they were able to find the car the very next day, 60 miles north of her home in Athens, near an old logging road right off the highway. Deputies go to that location and they find the van parked alongside the interstate interstate facing towards a wooded area. And just as they found the car, Amanda shows up. And it's unclear how she found out about the location of the vehicle. Did investigators tell her exactly where it was found? Did they tell her approximately where it was found and she just happened upon the scene by accident? We don't know. Amanda was hysterical on the scene, screaming and crying that... That was her mom's vehicle, but the vehicle itself held zero clues. There was no sign of Debbie in the vehicle, no sign of where she'd been or where she was going, or who she'd been with. Once they began searching the surrounding area, they made their way into the woods and soon found an area that appeared to have just been set on fire. They found a red tote bag and a burnt blue tarp. Further into the woods, just down an embankment, they found the naked and burned body of Debbie Collier. Holy shit. She was laying on her back, badly burnt on her abdomen, and her right hand was holding on to a small tree. This case is so unusual and bizarre that red flags are flying all over the place, and it's going to take some time to wade through this mess, but we can do this together. So how did Debbie send a Venmo to her daughter? If her daughter alleged that she didn't take her phone with her, or at least she implied that, right? If Debbie logged into Venmo on someone else's phone, why would Debbie use the phone to send a Venmo payment to her daughter but not call 911 or text a family member or say who, quote, they are? Unless she was being forced. Right. But even then, if she was being forced... If someone had her in their possession and they were forcing her to send a Venmo payment, she did like a little bait and switch move to send it to her daughter instead. Wouldn't they be watching over her shoulder to make sure that the payment was sent to who they wanted it to be sent to? Like that part just doesn't make any sense to me. Agreed. It would take way more time too to open up Venmo, sign in, go through the verification process where they like text you a code and you have to enter the code and you'd have to have your phone for that. So if she didn't have her phone, how was she getting into her Venmo and then find the recipient and send such an exact amount with that message. It would take way more time to do all of that than to just call 911 or call a family member or even text them to describe who has her, right? Right. So maybe Amanda was mistaken and didn't mean to say or didn't actually say that the phone was left at home. Maybe she said all that she left with was her ID and debit card but just didn't realize that her mom actually did have her phone. That part is a little blurry because all it says in the missing persons report is, quote, Amanda also informed that her mother did not take anything with her but her driver's license and debit card, end quote, which does seem like a pretty forward statement but it doesn't say anything about her cell phone or a purse regardless why send the Venmo and not alert for help in some other way and why would she add the part about the house key being in the blue flower pot if Amanda lived with them periodically Um, so I want to touch on this for a second Amanda was known to have lived with her parents off and on but she had just moved into a new apartment um, and so That will come into play later, but either way, you would think she would already know where a key was to her parents' house if she had already lived there at some point. But either way, if Amanda said she knew what Debbie left with that day, that would indicate that either Amanda saw her that morning or that Amanda was in the house at some point to see what Debbie left behind. So that part just is really baffling to me, and I know it baffles many others, and it's leading a lot of people to look at the daughter, Amanda, and wonder, could she have had something to do with this? Because her position in this whole story is just kind of weird. It's bizarre. It's puzzling. Mm -hmm. So upon researching a little more into Amanda's background, web sleuths quickly found some damaging information about her past. And just for a disclaimer, this, of course, does not make her guilty of having anything to do with her mother's death, but I can understand why people would start putting these pieces together and begin to suspect that maybe something more sinister than we think is going on here. I can also understand, however, how someone knowing Amanda's past issues could do all of this in an attempt to create a red herring, pointing suspicion at Amanda, knowing people would fall for it, right? So just consider those two things, but I want you to tell me your thoughts after we dive a bit into these details. So on August 17th of 2021, Amanda was arrested for possession of a controlled substance believed to be meth. She's also been involved in numerous domestic violence calls involving men that she was in relationships with. And in these cases, she's been accused of being both the victim and the alleged aggressor in these situations. She's also been in trouble for making false claims to police. And as recent as May, she was charged with filing a false police report of a crime in connection with her current boyfriend, Andrew Geigerich, who was charged and later pleaded guilty to criminal trespass, battery, and property damage. So her boyfriend, Andrew, has a lengthy record himself with a history of domestic violence charges. He was in jail for six days from September 16th to the 22nd on a probation violation, and he was ordered to show proof of substance abuse treatment within 20 days. So he's clearly struggling with some addiction issues, either past or present, and it it appears Amanda is as well. Mm -hmm. In June, he was arrested after police responded to a call from Amanda's house After he violated an order of protection beating on her door and displaying disorderly conduct and body cam footage from that day captured Andrew venting to one of the police officers that Amanda had been siphoning five to six hundred dollars from each of his paychecks totaling near nearly three thousand dollars that he alleged she was using on drugs But this volatile relationship is ongoing and off and on, and they were pictured just last week outside her house, appearing to be back together. Neighbors of Debbie and Steve reported that they'd often see a young woman visit Debbie and Steve's home on nights and weekends, and that the night before Debbie's appearance, there was fighting and yelling coming from their property. So could the young woman have been Amanda? The neighbor was unable to say because Debbie and Steve really kept to themselves. They didn't partake in any neighborhood get-togethers. They didn't socialize with their neighbors. Many of their neighbors didn't even know Debbie and Steve's names. Then to add just even more confusion to this case... A video from the day Debbie was killed was released that showed Debbie walking into a family dollar store just 13 miles away from where she was eventually found. And keep in mind, this is still at least an hour north of her home, okay? So what was she even doing up here in the first place? But Debbie can be seen walking into the store alone purchasing the red tote bag and the blue tarp that were later found near her burned body. She was also purchasing a raincoat, paper towels, and a refillable torch lighter. And strapped to her shoulder was her black purse, which Amanda allegedly told investigators originally that she left at home. She was also carrying the keys to her van, and she didn't act like she was distressed to the clerk in the store. This is freaking weird. So the recording took place at 2.55 p.m. And remember, she sent that Venmo to her daughter at 3.17, not even 25 minutes after she purchased these items at the family dollar. So did her killer send her into the store to buy these items? Was she duped into buying these items by someone she knew and trusted, not knowing that they'd be used in her own murder? Surrounding cameras showed that she was Alone in her vehicle, or at least that nobody was in the front seat. It was a van, so someone could have easily been laying in the back. But police have also come out and said that they do not believe this was a kidnapping, and they've also ruled out that it was a suicide, obviously. Of course, who would fall for it being a suicide? But they knew something that we obviously don't. And I think more things will be coming to light very soon. And some things came to light yesterday, and I'm going to touch on that at the very end. So hang in there. But one of Debbie's friends answered the door to a reporter and refused to answer any of their questions. But right before she shut the door in their faces, she said, quote, there's a reason we are keeping quiet, end quote. What could that reason be? Then yesterday, September 30th, A press conference was held, and authorities in the investigation were very open regarding the investigation, which is not typical. Usually cops are really tight-lipped on investigations, but they were really open and willing to answer a lot of the questions. Some of the stuff they wouldn't answer because they didn't want any people, you know, of interest or any suspects to hear what they released and then get ahead of them on that. So there were some things that they didn't answer, But the conference was about 30 minutes long, and here are the main points that I took away from this conference. So the lead investigator, George Kaysen answered a list of questions, but the conference started off by announcing that more footage was obtained from the area near the Family Dollar Store that showed Debbie getting into her car and sitting in her car for about 10 minutes before finally leaving and heading south at 319 that Venmo payment was sent at 3:17 so that Venmo payment had to have been sent while she was sitting in the car in the parking lot so one of the questions that was asked was can you confirm the Venmo message was in fact sent from mom's phone so they confirmed that Amanda received the payment But they're not yet able to confirm that it was 100% sent from Debbie's phone. And they're just still getting search warrants from multiple phone companies. And that will probably assist them in nailing down exactly where that payment came from. And if it did, in fact, come from Debbie's phone. And I'm inclined to think that it did. And they're just waiting for full proof evidence that proves it came from her phone. But either way... When it was sent, when it was sent, mm -hmm. so it was within like a minute of the camera viewing her in the car yes so it wasn't like it was distressed when it was sent and did can they see the video of her sending it they can see the video of her car in the parking lot and she's sitting in the car but as far as i know there's no footage of debbie herself actually in the car i'm sure it shows her getting into the car so they know she's in it Mm -hmm. but there's no footage of anyone else who might have been in the car okay they do have Debbie's phone. It was located at the crime scene. An official cause of death has not been released because the autopsy is not complete, but they are ruling her death as a homicide. And the investigation is obviously ongoing. They said nobody has been ruled out. They said this is not an, a random act of violence. There is no information to show that this was random. This was from someone she knew. And they could not confirm that her purse was switched out. Because remember, it was first declared by Amanda that her purse was left at home. So some people said, well, maybe she switched purses and was carrying a different purse. But in the Family Dollar video, Debbie is seen with a purse on her shoulder, and that same purse was found at the crime scene. So as far as her purse being switched out, that hasn't been confirmed. There was a question in the beginning of this entire ordeal, when this all started, if she was actually kidnapped and if it was drug-related. So police confirmed during the press conference that they do not believe it was a kidnapping and that they do not believe drugs were involved. Typically, when police come upon a crime scene and they're filling out their initial reports, they mark whatever might be applicable. applicable, Oh, my God. Applicable. (laughs) Thank you. Applicable. Applicable. To the scene. I love when I can contribute something valuable. Yes, thank you. You were good for at least one thing during this episode. Well, thanks a million for that, Kelly. At the time, it was unknown whether or not drugs were involved. So that was why it was marked on the initial report that it could have been a drug-related crime. But now the investigation is not leading them in that direction. So it was also confirmed that Debbie's husband, Steve, was working during the time of her disappearance. He was working at the UGA game, parking vehicles for game day. And it was also confirmed that Amanda talked on the phone with Debbie that afternoon. I want to know why that was never said in the initial missing persons report. Why she didn't tell police that she talked to her that afternoon. She made it sound like she randomly got this Venmo message and it just kind of set alarm bells off. Even though they didn't report it to police until three hours later. But okay. And she also later told police that her mom was helping her clean her apartment that she had just moved into. And so she had asked her mom to get cleaning supplies. But when she was at the Family Dollar, when Debbie was at the Family Dollar, she bought a raincoat, a tote bag, a tarp, paper towels, and a lighter. The only cleaning supply I see there is the lighter. So, or I'm sorry, is the paper towels. I was like, wait, paper towels are used to clean. I use a lighter to clean all the time. Um, So, you know, obviously there's a disconnect there, too. And the last thing that I want to touch on from the press conference that stood out to me the most was, quote, we believe this act was deliberate and personal, end quote. That spoke volumes to me. When they said that, I literally repeated it out loud. I was getting ready for our hocus-pocus party last night, and I had headphones on as I was listening to this press conference. And when he said that, I repeated it out loud because I thought that speaks volumes to me. That tells me that the suspect is close to her. It's obviously someone she knows. The daughter. And it seems like all signs are pointing at the daughter. And I would hate to be wrong in this situation, okay? Like, I would hate to put this out there, pointing fingers at the daughter just for her to end up being completely innocent. But when you are investigating cases like this and you're just a podcaster like me, okay, you just go off of what you have available to you. Obviously, I don't have access to the innards of this investigation. I only have what I have access to. And it does just seem like the signs are kind of pointing at her daughter. So let me just say, I could completely be wrong. I could be completely off base. And if I am, I am sorry. And I will apologize when that time comes, if it does. And if you're not, you'll say, I was right, bitches. And I told you so. No, I'm just kidding. But that is all we have to go off of right now this is ongoing so there will be updates i will keep you all updated as we find out more but as of right now this is the pertinent stuff that you need to know when you are discussing or you know wanting to learn about this case so if you want a deep dive you go for it let me know if there's any thoughts you have or if there's something you think i've missed by reaching out to us at mama.mysterypodcast on instagram we have a website mamamystery.com you can send me messages through there um yeah, that's all we have for now, and we will be back with a brand new episode tomorrow. Because we're just going to keep dishing these out as much as I can, as much as I can write them up and get them out there. As much as we can muster. Happy Octubre. What a way to kick off spooky season, Mama. Mystery out. Bye.